This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Frontline Gaming presents 40K Stat Center with your hosts, Val Heffelfinger and the Falcon. The enemy of my enemy may be a wog. Would Eldar Flyers learn an inconvenient truth at the Allies of Convenience GT? TJ and DJ met at the top table of Triple C, but who ended up taking the L? And then we give thanks to those who spank tanks in the land of Manx at Warzone Man. Bugmen and bots butt heads in battle at the Bristol City Open. Oh, hello, Peter. Episode 5 on tap. How are you doing tonight? I am doing splendid, sir. And how are you? I'm doing just fine. Feeling loose, feeling limber. We got a really nice show lined up and designed for all of our viewers on YouTube and listeners on various podcast platforms. Yeah, how about that new? Uh, how about that new Goat Boy art? We're we're like a Big Boy 40K podcast now. We have a Goat Boy sanctioned art. Just like everybody else, we had to do our part and pay Goat Boy so that he can live yet another week. Yes, he uh, he he's very much hand to mouth, uh, just drawing podcast cover art. Uh, to just pay the bills and keep the lights on. And uh, yes, in cartoon form, I, in fact, am that jacked. Me too. So some news uh, from around the community a couple weeks back. I think it's a couple weeks ago now. We had uh, Jim Vessel on, and uh, he had tragically, I mean, as far as 40K goes, tragically lost his uh, his army or it was stolen from him at Pearson International Airport. Turns out the thieves, as he was in departures... Opened up the case thinking they were going to find some nice camera equipment or some computers or something. They found some minis and they left it there. They abandoned it. Pearson Airport figured that out in about 10 days. And Jim Vessel got his stuff back. That is incredible. Um, Yeah, it's a really big deal for the community. Uh, Jim was definitely heartbroken and the community really reached out. If you really want to, guys, uh, if you check out the latest episode of Best in Faction podcast, Um, About an hour in, Jim does a quick impromptu interview over the phone with them where he discusses how he felt about getting the army back, um, gives thanks to the community in general for everything that they did, and uh, announces that uh, the new army that he received uh, from GW and from a couple local stores, um, he's going to be donating to charity. We're not sure when, we're not sure where, but I'm sure that'll all get uh, leaked out as soon as well, sometime soon, and when it does, we'll let you know. I know he's uh, fully planning to pay it forward. Um, it was a really, really cool story, just how nice uh, people were about uh, trying to help him out. So uh, an even happier happy ending. He gets his army back, and uh, and now he can do something nice for someone else, too. Yeah, quite possibly the happiest of endings. <laughs> well, uh, you only get that at Pablo's second handy shop. Or one of those Thai massage places. Neither of us own an NFL team. Uh, we can't. Just, we we just can't do that. All right. That's true. I don't know how things are up in very northern Alberta on that <laughs> front. Uh, regardless, coming into a very very large weekend in the 40k universe, we're going into uh, list scare season uh, part one. That's when the ATC team lists and games uh, really get published publicized. We have the American Team Championships coming up, coming at us really quickly this weekend. Uh, are you excited? Um. 
Yes, I'm always excited for ATC. There's a lot of people that um, that maybe don't get get in as as into it as uh, as say you or or I do, um, but it's really while it may not while the lists may not definitely reflect the meta in general from time to time because of the skew. Um, you you really get to see what the top minds are thinking uh, in terms of what units are, are are out there to play right now. Yeah, and I I personally haven't really gone too deep on a lot of the uh, on a lot of the lists. I don't know if if you have. I know they talked a little bit about it on Chapter Tactics. I guess uh, two weeks ago now. But uh, yeah, I, I describe it as list scare because you know it's the first big team event, and there are all these really lopsided skew lists because you know you're going for matchups and pairings in a team event, so. Usually, uh, various internet websites get all a flutter about the state of 40k, and really, yeah. really, it's just the, the format and 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 what that uh, what that means and what that does for list design. For sure, you, you like you're not really going to see too many five repulsor Gulliman lists outside of a team event or European tournaments. So, what about us? What about what about all those folks at home who don't get to go and be part of this massive, massive team event? Hundreds of of players. There is uh, uh, an outfit coming or ha that has been created. I alluded to this in the past few shows. I actually have their name now. They are Pro Tabletop. They um, are sort of a startup uh, or a spinoff of, uh, of an esports channel on Twitch. Uh, that means that they already have tremendous experience streaming. They already have a lot of equipment, a lot of cameras, uh, a lot of know-how. They have a full production team, so that means that the on-air talent uh, is not... Also piloting cameras, you might uh, know what that's like, Peter. Just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, so this is, a, this is a full production, and so full, in fact, that they will be streaming five tables simultaneously. Of course, the ATC is a, is a five-person uh, team event. That means all five tables will have cameras on them. None other, none other than Rob Bear and Kenny Boucher themselves will be, the, uh, will be the shoutcasters, which is what I'm told the kids call commentators on Twitch. Uh, and uh, they're going to be uh, doing the commentary. Actually, they're going to be mobile, so like they'll be walking around to various tables, getting updates. I'm told the goal is actually to have each table scoring on an iPad, so that way the uh, the score is re real time updated at, onto the overlay. Um, it's pretty wild, actually, what uh, what has been intimated to me. Why keep talking uh, about them when they can tell us a little bit themselves? So here's uh, one of the guys from pro tabletop which you can follow on twitch here we go hey what's up everybody brad here from professional tabletop if you don't know who we are what we're about we've got over 10 years in esports production and broadcast experience and we are basically bringing everything we know about esports into the tabletop world uh to kind of get a big kickstart on that we've got atc coming up this weekend and we're going to be doing all the production uh and streaming for the event you can watch it at twitch.tv slash pro tabletop yeah, we're going to have the top five tables going, top-down cameras, some PTZ cameras, some like close-up camera shots up on the tables and everything like that. And of course, you can't forget the people who are going to be commentating and talking about the games. The two that you guys will probably know name-wise is going to be Rob Bear and Kenny B. So make sure to tune in all weekend long at ATC. Once again, twitch.tv slash pro tabletop. We'll see you Sounds uh, fantastic, and uh, I really hope it goes well for them because this is um, this is the first time, I guess, like I said, an established channel taking interest in 40K, trying to make it something that's watching. I'm really excited for this. This is kind of, if it works out, which, you know, crossed fingers it does, this is a real big step for us. Um, if you go back to, say, last year when Warhammer TV started um, doing their streams uh, with their com color commentary from Jeff and Frankie, 
that was huge. Um, mm-hmm. But like, it's always needed that next step, right? And uh, this may be it. I mean, I love the idea of having you know guys that are wandering around to the tables with handy cams. Uh, um, Kenny B and Rob, they know the game, so it's not like we're we're getting two people that are you know outside of the world of 40k trying to explain what's happening at the tables. I'm I'm really looking forward. I've got high high hopes. There's some great um, dedicated streaming groups out there. I mean, our our friends at uh, the Down Under Network, uh, Honest War Gamer, which we'll be doing uh, Capital City Bloodbath with, and and those guys. I mean, they they innovate a lot with what they have. And they do as much as they can to make an entertaining product, but they are constrained by resources. And uh, like I said, these guys have hopefully all the gear they need to to do something really special. So tune in on Twitch starting this weekend. Should be a blast. Very most recent uh, Chapter Tactics episode. Super awesome. Reese is on there. Jeff, Sean, Pablo. They go through the Knights, uh, the Renegade Knights or whatever it's called. Chaos Knights? What is it called now? Yeah, Renegade Knights Codex. It's it's an excellent podcast. Really, like a lot of really excellent insights into the the builds that these guys expect to see uh, come out. There's some pretty ridiculous stuff that they talk about. They also talk uh, get really in depth on the strategies against uh, night lists, uh, with a little bit more focus on on renegades now. With uh, what we're expected to see with these, you know, twenty four stop knights wandering around killing all your dudes. Um, really, really excellent episode. Announced for a possible new Frontline Network podcast. If you catch the beginning of it with Jeff and Sean, we'll see if that pans out. Um, yeah, really great overall. Oh, and then uh, also, obviously, TGX in Toronto coming up on July 20th. I'm working really hard here, guys, trying to get our, get ourselves up to a major status. We are sitting right around 60 players still. I'm working the phones uh, day and night. Please check it out, tabletopgamingx.com if you can get to the uh, greater Toronto area. If you're from the greater Toronto area, come check us out. It's going to be a really, really great event. we got some super good players coming, basically the entire Canadian ETC team. So is the rest. Uh, what else we got? Well, we got Capital City Bloodbath coming up in August. You and I and uh, the Honest Wargamer and, you know, 100 other uh, beautiful souls are going to be in uh, the capital of Canada, Ottawa, Ontario. Beautiful city to uh, mm-hmm. watch and or play some Warhammers as well as a number of other different uh, tabletop games. Should be a blast. Absolutely. Uh, one of my favorite every year. And even though TGX is pretty sweet, I'd say Capital City Bloodbath is still the jewel of the Canadian tournament circuit. All right. So I think without further ado, it's about time to hit that bump. Tournament news is made possible by bestcoastpairings.com. Download the BCP TO app to organize events. For just about any tabletop game system, download the player app to easily find and participate in events from around the world. Around the world. Subscribe to BCP for as little as $5 a month to support the team and unlock additional features. Available for iOS and Android. BestCoastPairings.com. Competitive events. Easier. For our first event this week, we fly to the Element Games Gaming Center, home to a plethora of high-level events in the UK throughout the year. This time it would be an ETC-style event hosted by the stalwart Allies of Convenience podcast team. You can check them out on their long-running show, alliesofconvenience.podbean.com. Uh, most of Team Wales and England were in attendance, and even the dregs of Team Scotland. Uh, I, I believe at least one uh, Innes Wilson was there. These Welshmen have been running competitive events for several years now, and uh, let's kick it to the TO for his words on the event. Absolutely. 
So the Atlas of Convenience GT has pretty much been running since late 2015 and has been run by the Allies of Convenience podcast guys, which is pretty much just the, the Team Wales podcast, right? So you have a bunch of people uh, circulating through Team Wales and we've been running this podcast, which has kind of been like a labor of love, really, and that spawned the Allies of Convenience GT. So as such, it hasn't really kind of stuck to a fixed date or a fixed location. So we had one in, in Warrington in the northwest of the UK, we had another one down in Cardiff, which is uh, the capital of Wales, down in the south of Wales, which is a decent chunk of time, probably like a three-hour drive, which in UK standards is is a decent drive. And then this one was held over in Stockport at Element Games in the UK, where we hold a lot of our, our big events. And we did clash with a couple of other events this time, so we've, there was another ITC uh, big event held on the Isle of Man, and another one down in Bristol as well. So we had quite a few ETC players that are going to Serbia this year turn up at the Allies of Convenience GT. So we had a lot of people kind of just doing a lot of last minute testing for the ETC itself because it was the weekend before list submission. So people were using it as an opportunity to really practice some lists. I, I don't doubt that there were some teams that probably didn't take their ETC lists. But it's a good a good bit of practice. In the UK, the, uh, the July section of the year is quite... Uh, stacked with events because there's just lots of events of people preparing for the ETC and if they're not going to the ETC kind of got a good a good amount of time off of that as well but we did see quite a few uh, interesting lists it was quite a varied pack but one of the things that really popped up was orcs so at one point I think we had four orc players on the top five tables during the event uh, lots of smasher guns popping up which uh, which is nice to see we know my feelings on Lewis if you want to keep up with future events like the Allies of Convenience podcast or just uh, UK events in general, what you can end up doing is you can go and follow the Allies of Convenience podcast on Facebook, which is facebook.com slash AOC podcast. Or if you're a Welsh person who's interested in BTC, you can go to uh, slash Team Wales 40k on Facebook or at Team Wales 40k on Twitter and have a look at that and just hit us up and we'll be like really interested to hear from you and see if you're you're interested in that kind of stuff. We're always looking for for more Welsh people to really get involved with the scene. It's good to have a nice, vibrant community like we always already do. Correct me if I'm wrong, but is 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 that technically a, a Welsh accent from from Tom? Sounds English to me. Yes. Um, actually, Tom is one of the most notorious uh, 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 mercenaries out there. He played actually for Team Canada last year. Oh, was my roommate, if I recall correctly. It was a bit of a blur. So the event would eventually come down to two final undefeated players duking it out in a round five matchup featuring Anthony the Red Baron Chew and Tom likes it on top Higginbottom. Anthony has been running variations of flyer spam for some time now, going on at least six months, I believe, with extreme success. And we were lucky enough to get a hold of him after the event. Uh, but let's have a quick look at his, at his list as it stands right now. Sure thing. So Anthony Chu at the Allies of Convenience ran an air wing detachment ally talk with three Crimson Hunter Exarchs and two Plain Jane Crimson Hunters. He then had a Cabal of the Blackheart air wing detachment with two Razor Wings and two Void Raven Bombers. So that's right. Five Flyers folks. Or sorry, nine Flyers folks. Um, he then had an Otark. Uh, in an ally talk battalion with a Farseer Skyrunner, a Warlock Skyrunner, 20, uh, 20 Guardian Defenders with two heavy weapon platforms for them, Shuriken Cannons, and two uh, units of five Rangers. Now, we saw a list very similar to this being run by a guy down south 
Yes, Chris Blackham uh, has been running a very similar list. Um, Anthony's been running this list for quite some time. I've seen uh, the earliest I want to say, and my memory is a little shoddy, so it may not have even been him, but I just remember people getting super mad about it. It was back in January, just pre-LVO. Right. This nine-flyer list popped up over in the UK, and people were all about how nonsense it was. Despite the best intentions, seems like it's still quite a bit of nonsense, because Anthony Chu, of course, got to the uh, the top table of the event. Yeah. Oh, no. He And uh, this isn't his first time. He's he's always a front runner um, at, at these things, and this uh, kind of six to nine flyer businesses has been his jam for some time. All right, so why don't we uh, listen to Anthony talk a little bit about this list and uh, what performed really well for him over the weekend. Hi guys, thanks for having me on. Um, so this list was something I put together as a ongoing thing about flyer spam. Um, so this is a, a nine flyer list, but I've been working to put in better support and psychic powers generally on the ground presence. So you've got your Vect from the Dark Eldar section. You've also got the Dark the Eldar flyers, and then I've got the Guardian bomb, which has been a real boost in my recent game. So that's really worked well. Um, but the whole list is designed to be able to take a punch and go second, which I think is massive in the meta. So that's generally what, how I've put that list together and why I've been running that recent tournament. And it's been doing really well. The event was really great. Uh, we used the ETC mission pack, just in case you're wondering. But I don't think I would change the list for ITC. I think it's got good scoring. It can definitely stop opponents scoring kill more. It might struggle a bit with hold more, but you just kill people off and win that in the late game. And it's greater with the holding secondaries in ITC as well as scoring Maelstrom in ETC. Okay, so my MVP for this weekend, if I had to pick a unit, probably has to go and be that Guardian Bomb. It's amazing the amount of damage that you can put out with it. And it's amazing how frustrating it can be for opponents to deal with where they're trying to focus on planes and suddenly you throw in 20 Guardians with a Protect or you make a hole in their lines where they hadn't expected to lose a massive unit. Because, you know... Gone are the days of Yunari firing twice, but having 40 shots will remove a big unit of boys between Guide and Doom, followed up by playing, or it can tail across multiple objectives and score you good points. It's a really great unit, really versatile, and having battle focus makes them really mobile with that firepower. All right, so giving a little shout-out to the Guardians in a list with nine flyers. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yes, those Guardians are uh, tremendously nasty, uh, even in light of the Nine Flyers. And I guess where this goes a little bit different from the uh, Blackman list is less of a reliance on characters. Because, I mean, he does have the Guardians and the Rangers and stuff. It's not uh, just Flyers and characters. Yeah, he's he's definitely relying. Uh, well, like he said, he, he's looking for something that's a little more stable on the ground, just so that he, he doesn't uh, get that awkward uh, you know win condition get thrown upon his opponent where he loses everything before it's too late. Absolutely, and he did talk about um, you know his ability to kill boys, interestingly enough, and perhaps that had maybe boys were top of mind. Orc boys, that is. <laughs> for sure. Uh, were top of mind for him. Yeah, I mean, Anthony's opponent in the final round, Tom, uh, he, was, uh, he brought the Orc boys to town. In fact, he went with a skew that you've been seeing uh, more and more, on the, uh, at least on the, in the UK side. I have been mm -hmm. seeing seven or eight show up in, in, uh, in North American lists, but uh, in this case, it's the smash a gun It's become a very, very popular of late. All right, let's, uh, let, let's see if old Hef can handle this. I'm going to take a run at it. Mr. Tom, Tom Higginbottom, uh, with his orcs list, he had uh, a battalion detachment of evil sons with two war bosses, just with a custom, uh, with, with the power claw. And then he had one, two, three units of orc boys, uh, almost, so the, the one of 30 was Slug and Choppa, two were Shooter with some points shaved by the looks of it. Yes, like two, uh, so they're about units of 29, I believe. Uh, and then we had a second battalion detachment, Orc Bad Moons, uh, two Weird Boys, another 30 Orc Boys, 
and then a unit of 10 Orc Boys, also with Shooters, and then a unit of 10 Gretchen. And then uh, finally we had an Orc's uh, Death Skulls detachment. Uh, this is where, the obviously, the Dreadwah is. Uh, Death Skull Shock Attack Gun, uh, a Weird Boy, 30 Grots, and finally, as... The Falcon had alluded to, we've got a total of 17 Smasher Guns. Am I reading that right? You are reading correctly. One short of taking the max. So for those at home, a Smasher Gun is 31 points for a Toughness 5, 6-wound model, uh, and it has a 48-inch range, D3 shots on Grot uh, Ballistic Skill. Big deal for the Orcs, because that's a 4+. Plus. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it does this weird thing. It wounds stuff based on the target's toughness. So if it's toughness 7, you have to roll a 7 or higher to wound it, and then it's minus 4 d6 damage. Bit of a tricky thing to run in a, in a, in a terrain-dense environment, and I wonder if maybe that's why you don't see it as much in North America. What do you think about that? No, I think you're absolutely correct. Um, like I said, recently there's been a, a kind of a, a turn towards uh, smasher guns and uh, tractor cannons, but... Not in these numbers. You're seeing four, five, six. You know, at most, I've seen maybe seven in a list. At least one that's been successful. I have definitely seen a couple people try to run, say, twelve Smasher guns in a list, uh, but they're den- normally down, you know, near the bottoms of the ranks, uh, just because it's it's a lot of points into models that, uh, you know, while they are five wounds and they are super cheap, they do die pretty fast, so they can get you your opponent kill more pretty easily um, in the wrong matchups. Tom doesn't go too in-depth about his list, but he does have a little bit of a quote here for us Why don't we kick it over to Tom. So the Orc list is a gun line uh, with good board control and combat. It's got excellent mobility with the jump and green tide. Uh, it's also, I think, got a lot of answers for the top current builds in the meta. So like I said, short and sweet, but there was Tom's, uh, Tom's rap of that. Um, now, by all accounts, these guys had an incredibly close game and a brutal game with Tom's Orcs barely scraping together when to take the event. Uh, before we kick it over to the guys to talk about their uh, their their top table game, uh, do you have any more comments about these lists? No, I mean, this is kind of what I would say, like, like Anthony mentioned, the Flyer Spam list is something that it has definitely been successful in the ITC. It's a big boogeyman right now. It's uh, it got very high win rates. Um, it's not winning a lot of tournaments, but it has won some. It, 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 there's definitely some hard counters to it. And Tom's list, I mean, orcs are everywhere right now. Um, overall, their win percentages might not be super duper great, but they're getting brought down by very specific lists, uh, whereas you know the top performers are week in and week out killing it. It's been a great little uh, summer renaissance for the boys, so let's uh, hear it in some gory detail from Tom himself going through uh, a few turns of the final game. Uh, game five was against Mr. Tony Chu, the godfather of planes, uh, with his Eldar Dark Eldar Soup. There was nine with uh, bits of characters and 20 guardians and deep strike. Uh, I really wanted to go first here, but uh, Tony won the roll off for first turn, so naturally I lost 10 smasher, turn one. Uh, my turn one, I... Shot back with the sag, he vectored Mordaka. Uh, I shot twice anyway. I think I got lucky and dragged maybe, I think it was at least one plane, maybe a plane and a half with the sag, and then some shooters into another one to drop another. Tony's turn two, he got the rest of the smash and started. Uh, I lost like 40 boys, I think, or 45. Uh, no, it was 40, it was the big squad uh, that I'd mobbed up the previous turn. Um, in my turn two, I just I sat on objectives, just tried to play the mission as 
best I could. Um, and I think I took maybe another two planes out turn two. So turn three, all the smasher are gone. <clears throat> and Tony just starts focusing on boys, which is difficult for me because that's my scoring. Uh, we trade back and forth a little bit uh, for the next couple of turns, but I'm getting a little lead on uh, on the mission at this point. I've had okay cards, um, but it's a progressive scoring ETC style mission as well, so I'm picking up a few extra points than Tony uh, just every turn. So at the start of five, I haven't got much left. I've got uh, maybe a 10 man squad of boys, a 30 on the other side of the board, and a couple of characters dotted around, but unfortunately I timed out, uh, so I just had to sit where I was. Tony got his turn six in and scored more cards. Um, and just hunkered in for the the sort of end game objectives, but fortunately for me, I'd done enough throughout the game that it wasn't quite enough, and it was a four point win. Yeah, so I was very happy with that. The MVP in that game was obviously the Big Mac. I wouldn't have been able to to sort of bring out the win without that guy. I think uh, if he didn't roll the sixes that he rolled for the hits and stuff, uh, would have been really difficult trying to move around the board when you're being move blocked all the time and. I didn't have enough smites or shooters or anything like that to really drag the planes down otherwise. So, uh, yeah, I did really, really a lot of work in that game. Ah, uh, yes, the uh, hot rolling shock attack gun. It is the uh, savior of some, the bane of many. Why don't we uh, just hear a couple words from Tony? Uh, you'll see uh, that point resonated with him for sure. Okay, so my highlights of the top table match. Oh, it was a great game. Um a lot of smasher guns, 17 smasher guns. And I think, actually, the smashers were okay, and I killed quite a lot of them first turn, um, going first. But the shock attack gun just ruined me. And that's, I mean, that's a thing when you play shock attack guns with Eldar planes. It's, you know, the five-up in runs on the dark Eldar is great, and you can vect the um, uh, Mordaka for getting fives and sixes to hit, which is essential. But even then, my opponent, Tom, was rolling so many sixes and high strength and high number of shots that he was getting two to three hits and removing, even on low damage, moving six, seven, eight, nine, ten wounds from planes and just crippling me. And really that, that game got away from me because I was losing one to two planes a turn where normally I lose one, maybe two maximum from the whole army. He was taking one to two down with that gun. That's some hot dice, I'm not going to lie. Uh, your mileage may vary. <laughs> yeah, um, actually it brings to mind, uh, I already mentioned their podcast once, uh, but if you take a listen to uh, Best in Factions last episode, it's about two and a half hours long, so settle in. But uh, Chuck Arnett goes through his matches at uh, his last event that he attended, Boise Cup, and uh, he plays in a, a almost a dead center, a similar list here to Tom with uh, changes to the, the Smasher Guns. Other than that, very similar. And he has... Uh, he has quite the opposite experience against Eldar Flyer Spam, where his shock attack gun does nothing in it, and you get to hear the, the brutal after effect um, when it doesn't swing your way. All right. Uh, I think that wraps it up. Congrats to everyone at uh, the Allies of Convenience GT. Uh, why don't we hit a little bump? Tournament news. Hey, guys. This is Nick Nanavati from Knights of the Game Table Pro, where I teach you how to become a better 40K player. And you're listening to 40K Stat Center. A smooth read by Mr. Nanavati, kind enough to give us a little bit of a plug for the show. It was hot in Cleveland at the Triple C Tournament in the center of everything Ohio. 47 players dueled for their chance to be an Ohio 10, which I'm told is like a California 6. 
No one will tell us what the ratings are based on, but our friend Pablo has claimed he is at least an eight. This was an ITC event with a few modifications. Uh, players were allowed to bring unpainted models. However, their opponents would receive plus two to stealing the initiative if this was the case. They also implemented a reverse steal, quote unquote. Um, if a player was given first turn by their opponent, they could choose to uh, roll and on a six, they gave it back. And uh, lastly, they did have a set of uh, tertiary objectives for players uh, for the from the tournament itself. Um, I believe these were actually for secondary prizes more than actually uh, points scored towards their actual game results. But it was something that they did add and it kind of added a little extra flair to that standard ITC fair. Gilberto Rivera, TO podcaster and Ohio 12 gave us the scoop. Hello, uh, my name is Gilberto Rivera, better known as TCDG, and I am part of the Chainsword Diaries. Uh, this is our second year doing the Cleveland uh, Chainsword Championships. Uh, this is our first GT, and our goal was to create a one-of-a-kind experience. The meta was everything uh, that we expected to see. Uh, TJ brought his demons. Uh, there were several demon players, and then there were some counters to them. A lot of Astro Militarum. Uh, actually, so basically, if you have an army that shoots really well... Uh, they were playing it there. Uh, I was actually surprised to see very little knights on the table this weekend. So the Chainsaw Diaries, uh, we wanted to do something different with RGT. So we uh, not only partnered up with Dave & Buster's, but for our grand prize, we got to partner up with uh, one of our sponsors and one of our friends, uh, Gravity Dice. And the top prize were six 14-karat gold dice. Uh, <clears throat> very... <laughs> Very uh, wonderful uh, prize, and the winner of the uh, Cleveland City uh, Cleveland Chainsword Champion. Uh, he also got a entry paid to the CTC, the Canadian Tabletop Championships, and those uh, two prizes alone are well worth over, uh, you know, a good chunk of change. You know, something we called the gold standard. The gold standard. How would you like to see? that become a, a common tournament prize. I think gold dice is pretty ballin'. That's freaking incredible. Uh, when I saw that, I was I was blown away. It almost made up for the fact that they referred to themselves as the premier North Coast event uh, for Warhammer 40K, as if they are any closer to the northern coast of our continent than I am. I mean, Cleveland's on the south shore of Lake Erie. So I guess the northern coast of America? I guess so. I guess that's that our, I guess for? Lake Erie is the eighth ocean of the world. Yeah, yeah it's big. It's big. I'm pretty I guess. shallow, though. Took out the Edmund Fitzgerald in rough seas. Mm. Mm -hmm. As we all know. <laughs> Man, Salty John's going to love that one. Oh, it goes deep, but not that deep. Probably about four or 500 feet. Okay, so let's move on here. This tournament would come down to DJ Tim's running AdMech and Team Canada's citizen in training, TJ Lanikin running an insane variation on his dominant list. Now, we'll get to TJ in a moment, but uh, first, why don't we have a quick look at what DJ brought along. He was uh, rocking a battalion at uh, AdMech with the Greya Forge world, and uh, he took the Servitor Manipul in this battalion. He had t a Tech Priest Dominus and a Tech Priest Engine Seer. Uh, as troops, he had 10 <laughs> Cataphron Destroyers uh, with the Cognus Flavor uh, Flamer Plasma Culvern, two with Fla Phosphor Blaster and Plasma Culvern, and then he had in that same battalion uh, two units of Skatari Rangers, just naked, 
And then uh, another battalion detachment, Admech again with uh, with Greya. This one running a Cybernetica cohort. So we got some stompy robots coming at us. Under the HQ, we had a Tech Priest Engine Seer and a Tech Priest Manipulus. And then uh, under troops, we had uh, three men units of Skitari Rangers. And then under heavy support, we had the big stompy robots. We had five Castellan robots with the heavy two heavy phosphor blasters. Um, and then finally, there was a Vanguard detachment. Um, this one. Switching it up, Stygies, Tech Priest Engine Seer. Uh, we had three units of four servitors, and uh, then a fast attack of six Sidonian Dragoons with the Taser Lance for an exactly 2,000 points. That's the whole thing. That is, in fact, the whole thing. I love lists that are the good things, you know? Yeah, I, it's it's really enjoyable, especially Castellan Robots. Uh, they were everywhere when the Cult Mechanicus book first came out, and then they kind of disappeared because everybody realized all you had to do was touch them, and they stopped working. Right. But um, the new uh, Vigilist Detachment uh, breathed a little bit of life into them, so you're starting to see them more and more, even sometimes Fistolins. But yeah, no, it's a pretty exciting list. What does uh, what did DJ have to say about it? So I started Admech about a year ago as kind of a side project while I was waiting for Grey Knights to get anything to not have to spend 60% or more points into an ally and still not have something competitive. And the more and more I played the Admech, the more I liked them. And this is the first time that I ran a pure Admech force that I wasn't just taking detachments, wasn't just taking allies and pieces and parts of it. And it was my buddy Graham who came up with this combo that he stumbled upon, and I just took it miles away and practiced it and played with so many people got so many opinions and it was really a uh it was really a it was really a strong showing of what a good gaming group can do when there's a lot of minds on a single project so something special about my army is the way the concept of how it even came about uh, it was just a regular conversation, talking 40K with one of my buddies, Graham. And he stumbled upon a combo while we were looking over the new detachments that Admech had gotten and said, oh, look, there's this ability. And then it transpired into another ability, another ability, another ability. <clears throat> and everything just started stacking in such a way that it was like, are we crazy for looking at this? Am I crazy for thinking that I can spend 600 or 400 whatever points in five castle and robots can can this work and so i started asking a couple of people i'm like hey so i'm thinking about running castle and robots and of course a lot of people were like no you can't do it you can't do it without call you got to do it this way and then i started explaining everything to them and they're all like that sounds crazy enough to actually work so my army is basically three units castle and robots destroyers and dragoons and going into this, if you asked me who I thought my MVP was going to be, I would have had to pick the Destroyers. Uh, any of the games that I played practicing with my buddies when we were talking about our lists afterwards, they were always a star. They impressed me. They impressed my friends. They were just the definition of an impressive. It was the Dragoons. The Dragoons carried me through all of day one. Uh, the Dragoons just made sure that they were the measuring stick for the rest of my army, and they gave me the ability to know, looking at the table, if I needed to progress, if I could stay, if I needed to stay back, based on how far they were, 
uh, how many were left alive. They were such a good visual measuring stick on the field. There's a lot I really like about uh, DJ's comments there. One, team effort. I love that he credited his squad. I wish uh, wish he actually name drop a few of them, but... I mean, Reese is always talking about, like, go follow your heart. You two can play Catechins and never lose a game or whatever it is that Reese does. You know, so I think it's it's really cool that he felt like he was stumbling on some stuff that maybe was undervalued or whatever and had a good performance in a GT. No, it's it's great. It's And it's also just another callback to um, this concept of you know, play the crap out of what you want to get good at. Um, so many times, uh, whenever I talk to, you know, friends from back home or just players in general, they'll constantly ask me, you know, what are the stats on this unit? What does this do? What would make this better than this? And, uh, like, what should I put in my list? And a lot of times I have to say, like, it's not just based on the numbers guys, like get the reps in, you can play almost any army or unit in this game and get and you know put in results just by getting those reps in. Absolutely. Now, I don't want to spoil things too bad, but the top table maybe didn't go so well uh, for DJ versus TJ. So, he decided to share some uh, some highlights from one of his uh, other favorite games from the weekend. Let's uh, let him tell us about that before getting to TJ himself. My biggest highlight from this weekend would have had to have been my second game against Wesley. Um, that game opened up great for me. It by the end of the second turn, I got two out of the three long-range threats eliminated from his army. Dragoons are in his deployment zone. He's got a real small force, and they're in the corner on one objective in his deployment zone. Mad respect for that guy. He never checked out. He was in that game all the way to the end, and he pushed back, got the Dragoons out of there, started scoring the points that he could score and trying to deny me from the ones that I could, and... I uh, got to a point where the best I could do was just take a knee, just score the points I needed to score, make sure that I didn't give up too many points, and it ended up being a 23-22 finish. I still had a lot of threats on the table that I could have pushed at him. I can't say that he wouldn't have eliminated them and then may have squeaked out a win by castling up and staying in the game till the end. So just for reference, he's referring to uh, Wesley Tinch. Um, who played a very unique uh, Karcharadon list, my absolute favorite Space Marine chapter. So, what a hero. So I'm super excited uh, to see uh, someone, you know, get get the kind words for playing such a wicked army, at least in the lore. Uh, we won't go into the list uh, in general because it, it wasn't the, the, a top table list, but if you want to check it out, head on over to BCP. It's a very unique, interesting list, and uh, yeah, I really, I, I really like the look of it. When we have a reoccurring character, on the show, I tend to ask them, you know, maybe what they've changed or shifted around. This is some breaking news, I think, for Stats Center. TJ Lanigan uh, made some changes to his list. Uh, so I ran the same list that I've been running for a while. I added one little, little change. I basically just took out one pink and added in um, the banner for them. Sorry, the uh, instrument for them so that they could uh, get an extra plus one on their charge and advance rolls. Just makes the charge a little easier. Eight-inch charge, much easier to kind of deal with than a normal uh, nine-inch charge. So uh, that was that. So still running, you know, um, the two full units of plague bearers, uh, and then I'm running uh, some terminators. I ran eight of those guys who did fantastic for me, and then uh, I ran two of the flamer guys. Uh, Death Guard Demon Prince, uh, it's the same Nurgle Detachment uh, with the Heralds and everything like that, Bile Piper, 
the uh, two Demon Princes for Thousand Suns, and then Armin. So, standard list. All right. Not the biggest, uh, most amazing change to TJ's list, but let's hear what his MVP was uh, this week. I'm sure it was uh, really different. P of the weekend uh, continues to uh, continues to be the same same units. Uh, Foul blight spawns um, just really put in the work this weekend. Um, my flamer brothers uh, they just really just saved me. Uh, game four in particular they were just on fire. Uh, so game four I played against um, Dom, great opponent. Uh, he's running Eldar flyers, and you know my list doesn't have a lot of interaction with flyers other than like. Targeted smites and those guys. So those guys single-handedly took out like four flyers on their own. So it made it very, very frustrating for my opponent to get anywhere basically near my lines, which really helped me kind of um, keep him off his secondaries that he had picked because he had picked like recon and things like that. So I mean, it was very—they um, were very clutch in most of my games. So I really, really enjoy those guys. Outside of that, like we mentioned already, uh, TJ did come out and uh, win the event in sparkling fashion. Uh, he did defeat uh, DJ 36 to 18 in his final matchup. Um, so rather than talk too much about how that how that game broke down, we asked TJ what his what his favorite game of the tournament was. So highlights from some of my games. I think game four was definitely um, my my best game or my toughest game for me. Um, we were playing against uh, Dom, great opponent. Uh, he had tons of flyers, so that was uh, already kind of tough. Um, I do interact with it because um, I do have the Flamer guys and things like that, but it's not my best matchup. Um, it's not a bad matchup, but it's not a good one either. And then my dice immediately uh, decided that they were going to not come to play, which is kind of funny. Just a series of like unfortunate events happen on the tabletop you know rolling psychic powers it just fails like my first spell i perils dealt myself three wounds like just some really really funny stuff um but uh flamer guys basically clutched that entire game by themselves they literally killed four flyers by themselves so basically they did most of the work they were probably the only consistent thing the whole game um so some pretty funny um some pretty funny interactions like demon prince trying to charge flyers and doing nothing so there you have it. There were some of the more uh, exciting games. Now, as mentioned, DJ and TJ, uh, you know, uh, did meet on that on that top table. Uh, DJ neglected to share many stories. So why don't we go over to TJ and uh, we'll find out exactly why. Uh, so turning point at the top table. Um, uh, unfortunately, it was really just one of those uh, missions that is heavily favored for someone who has um, middle table presence and, you know, board control for the middle of the table. So we played uh, Crucible Champions. So the bonus is if you hold, uh, you hold, sorry, you have a character on all three objectives. You don't even have to hold them. You just have to have a character on three objectives. So that's a really, really good mission for me because I run like nine characters. So um, that was kind of a, like when we got to the table and we figured out we were playing that, that was kind of rough. And then once we picked deployment and we picked, uh, I picked search and destroy for the deployment because that's uh, in the tournament you get to roll for it. Once we picked that, that was pretty much, I would say, the turning point. Because once I played search and destroy, there were some Nova L's in the middle or some building L's in the middle, kind of block line of sight. I kind of just sat there and grabbed, you know, four to five points a turn without any kind of repercussion. So TJ, as we said, would end up uh, again victorious, going six and zero, and keeping his absolutely mad streak alive in that thirty six eighteen showing. Who can stop this juggernaut? 
I'm not sure we'll ever find out. Tournament news. I'm Lawrence Baker. And this is the B-Bone from Tabletop Tactics. You're listening to 40k Stat Center. Why not uh, Why not actually go a little bit, you know, off the British accent beaten path? And let's have and learn some fun facts about the Isle of Man. It is the birthplace of the Bee Gees. Suck it, Australia. It is not part of the United Kingdom, but it is ruled directly by the Queen as the Lord, not the Lady, of Man. The Queen is the Lord of Man. They have weird cats with no tails. Um, it's the motorcycle capital of the world. People care so little about the Isle of Man that the number one fact about it in travel guides is that it even exists. But you know what? We care. And so did the 36 players that hopped on their dinghies to take part in Warzone Man 2019. We caught up with the event runner Simon Chatterley for some more info. So I started Warzone Man in 2016 after going to events in the UK and deciding it was something I'd love to do for my local club on the Isle of Man. Um, we have a decent player base. But we didn't really have any events like what I'd been going to in the UK, and and I just really felt we were we were missing out. So that's how, how Warzone Man was born. Um, next question on the meta: uh, the meta in the Isle of Man was what I would call sort of a club standard. So you know you had some you know some good players with some good lists, and a lot of players who just really wanted a weekend uh, rolling dice and playing toy soldiers. So um, that was kind of where we came from. Since becoming an ITCGT last year, um, the meta really sort of stepped up a bit. Um, we're seeing players from the UK coming over now and bringing some sort of, you know, some serious lists. Um, so Simon Chatterley, in case uh, of those of you guys don't remember, he's, he's a bit of an insane person. Uh, he's good friends with Ace Face and uh, can usually be seen holding Ace's hair uh, at the LVO. Uh, after he is overindulged. Regardless of all those facts, ran three brass scorpions at the same time in Southport. The last chance open. That's just my favorite thing about him. At the, at, at, at the GT where um, that guy got busted cheating in the background of a Twitch stream. Amazing. Oh, yeah. I remember now. Oh, what yeah. a scandal. I mean, Ooh. just amazing. So this was a full IT, full-on ITC event that did feature some bigger names from that side of the ocean, including the eventual top table players, Conrad the Crimson King Barkowitz, and Mark Carlsberg is a balanced breakfast crumble home. Both players have had decent success of late, with Mark mixing and matching brands of multi-faction Eldari, and Conrad taking a number of high-placing finishes with Caladius Grav Tanks before handing them off to family members in the last month in favor of Craftworld Eldar. In fact, it was only two months ago that Conrad and Mark played each other on stream at St. George's Champions in what was a pretty thorough stomping on Conrad's part, mushing Mark's Eldar into paste under sheer weight of fire. That being said, uh, like I mentioned, he has switched to Craftworld Eldar. So let's talk a little bit about Conrad. Uh, he brought a Ally Talk airwing detachment with three Crimson Hunter Exarchs and a Hamlock Wraith Fighter. He then had an Althway Battalion with a Farseer Skyrunner, a Warlock Skyrunner, one, two squads of five, six Dire Avengers, and a squad of uh, 20 Guardians, the Guardian Bomb as well as two Wave Serpents. And then he topped it off with a same hand a patrol detachment with an Otark Skyrunner, a Farseer, eight Storm Guardians, and nine Wind Riders. 
with scatter lasers. Absolutely love it. I mean, that is a very toolsy list. Like the last Eldar list we saw is incredibly skewed, but this has a number of different kinds of units, um, including some familiar ones, obviously running Eldar flyers, but not all in on it. It definitely brings a, a lot of, yeah, like you said, it's a toolbox. It brings a lot of different pain from a lot of different angles. Those scat bikes can do work. Uh, we've seen it. We saw it at LVO. We've seen it many times since. Um, I'm surprised we don't see it more, to be fair. Uh, the Skyrunners, always always excellent pieces. Uh, the Guardian Bomb. It's just, uh, yeah, it's a really good all-around craft yeah, world list. Absolutely. So why don't we uh, actually just kick it over to Conrad, and he can uh, walk us through some of his favorite parts about the list. I guess the main thing different with um, my list is I have taken uh, different craft worlds to gain the maximum value out of each trait. So obviously Ally Talk on the Flyers. Um, Simhan for the scatter bikes that move or deep strike and shoot with no penalty um, and for the Autark with the Super Lance, the Nova Lance which is really good and uh, Altway on the rest because Feel No Pain for free is good on Serpents and Guardians hitting on twos on the deep strike with Guide, Doom, Jinx um, is super valuable to have as well against not only Hordes but also tougher big targets like knights or uh, i can definitely narrow down the mvps to two units the bikes are amazing against both hordes and bigger targets uh, with doom guide and jinx and then fire and fading every turn uh, back to safety they're always underestimated um rarely a priority target actually uh, against a lot of opponents or they're they're safe behind a ruin out of line of sight uh, and they added a crazy amount of uh, damage output to the list and then the Autark, uh, he has a solution to Tau with the Ignore Overwatch. Um, he's Simhans, you can use this strat to move 22, shoot and charge without penalty, which is really strong. And with a fusion gun, the Super Lance, all his shots and charging, he actually has a, a, a massive damage output for the only 120 points-ish um, that he costs. He actually finished off an Orion dropship. Finished off an Orion dropship. By himself. That's gangster move. That's uh, my butt clenched hearing that. You know what? I really enjoy uh, the list reads or the the like MVPs that uh, from some of these guys because they really give so much in insight into how their lists work. Shifting gears over to the other pointy-eared top tabler, Mr. Mark Crumbleome. He made a number of changes to his list since St. George's as well, though unlike Conrad, he at least stayed loyal to his faction. Falcon, follow me as we visit with some dark kin here uh so we have a prophets of flesh battalion with urian rakarth a homunculus uh three units of five rasks three units of seven grotesques with monstrous monstrous cleavers and seven flesh gauntlets and then we have a cabal of the blackheart spearhead with an archon three ravagers um, and then finally, oh, a nice little touch here, a Soaring Spite Vanguard of Harlequins with a Troopmaster and three Death Jesters, as well as six Skyweaver Jet Bikes with, the, with those lovely Haywire Cannons. Love those Death Jesters with the Snipey Snipey. Oh, yeah. It's, I think it's a big part of so many lists now. Uh, they're just they're very accurate. They can pick out characters. I'm surprised he went with Soaring Spite, although in the end, the Skyweavers are a definite uh, good choice, and that's really why you would go Soaring Spite. But so many people have swung over to Dreaming Shadow for those Death Jesters just for the, uh, the Relic Gun. What does Mark have to say, though? I went back to um, Grotesque Silver Talos for this list. Uh, I just found it was a little bit more survivable versus knights. 
which is an awful lot of knocking about, and also uh, potentially Caladius Grav Tanks, which have been around a lot in recent events. I wanted to try the Skyweaver Jet Bikes, uh, obviously without a Farseer and Doom now since the, the FAQ. Um, and I went back to Ravagers uh, with an Archon as a safety net. I really wanted Vect in the list because I've missed it in a, a couple of recent events. I've uh, really missed having Vect. MVP for sure was the, the uh, Haywire Bikes. Um, absolutely fantastic, especially when I did come up against the Caladius Grav Tanks. Um, they were able to obviously uh, you know, shoot the hell out of everything, but also locking up some Lehman Rust Punishers that were knocking around. And um, just overall being a menace versus vehicles. Um, but with the Zephyrglaives as well, they did a job versus almost any unit they went into. So absolutely MVP. Going out, going out hard for those uh, Skyweaver jet bikes. There was a reason why people used to take like 18 of them for the longest time. And it wasn't just Imperial Knights. They're, they're a really quality part of a, a lot of Eldar lists. So on paper, this was a brutally close match coming down to a one-point differential with Mark barely squeaking out the win. Um, you can actually catch the game on Facebook Live if you check out Twisted Dice TV. Uh, they provided a lot of the pre-event pre coverage for the tournament on Twitch. Um, the stream was a little bit last minute. Um, we did uh, harp on them to see if somebody would provide us with some coverage. So it's just a camera on the table, and you get to see the players rolling dice while pointing at different models. A um, little bit, uh, a little bit boring for some, but I mean, if you use your imagination, it is incredible. And I will take any Warhammer coverage over none at all. I mean, the entire time, I just imagined all those weird British things that the two guys were saying to each other. So with some more weird British things that two guys said to us. Uh, here's Mark and Conrad talking about their final game. The top table match was a really good game, a close game. Um, a few things went my opponent's way. Turning points, there were a few really uh, small things that added up to um, big margins in the score. So turn one, the Autark failed to uh, kill a Ravager narrowly. He rolled all ones and twos to wound, um, which meant, meant I didn't get kill or kill more. So that's a two-point swing. And then a Wave Serpent later on um, failed to finish off a Harlequin bike, which was only on two wounds, I think, with both a Serpent Shield and Shooting. Um, so that meant I didn't steal an objective back, I didn't get hold, I didn't get kill or kill more. Uh, so a few things like that added up to a big discrepancy in the scores. And then in the last turn, failing to kill three Grotesques with um, three Flyers, two Farces and two Serpents, so basically the, the rest of my army. Um, meant I didn't get kill or kill more and lost by one point. Top table game uh, against Conrad, a great player, always there or thereabouts in any event that he's at in the UK. Uh, recently, he's the one that's been using the Caladius Grav Tanks, um, which he beat me with a glass hammer a few months ago. Um, I played his brother round four with the Caladius, uh, managed to win that, then played Conrad game five, Major turning point was one of my Ravagers surviving almost his whole army. Um, and it survived enough to kill six out of, um, or five out of the nine scatterbikes, and then the other one ran off to morale. So that unit was pretty much crippled after that, and that definitely swung the game for me. Um, other than that, the Death Jesters really performed. Um, just for harassment, uh, holding objectives, you have to kill them. Um, and sniping out small units of, of elves seems to be their speciality. 
So there you have it. Wide agreement that thing swung on everything shooting a Ravager and then that one Ravager somehow killing the hell out of uh out, out of his army there. That uh that sounded like it very much overperformed in returning fire. Yeah. I mean, uh it sounds like a spectacular game. Like I said, you can watch it and uh, make up your own commentary for how the game's progressing. It's uh it's an enjoyable enjoyable game. Watch your head, Peter. Here comes a bump. Tournament news. Hey, big nasty bee and RoboEd from Life of the Cover Save Comedy Games Podcast. And you're listening to 40K Stat Center. It's kind of cool, I guess. Uh, Mr. Blake giving us an it's kind of cool, I guess, uh, seal of approval. I'm just impressed that he even listened to one minute of our show at all. So. Not only known for its primary export of thick card stock, perfect for elementary school presentations and science fair projects, but also as one of the UK's top tourist destinations. In the southwestern corner of the greatest of Britons, Bristol now finds itself home to a new attraction, the Bristol City Open. Not to be confused with the big Bristol City GT that was held earlier this year. I mean, the people of Bristol are simple folk, and they would not wish uh, to use any kind of inventiveness with naming conventions. It could confuse prospective players. How would they know where it was being held? However, come they did to a bona fide sports stadium rivaling even the finest Dave and Busters that Cleveland had to offer. Here's the proud TO and convention organizer talking about the event. In the UK, a lot of the events are kind of geared around some of the kind of larger population bases, typically... Uh, London, which has a huge number of fantastic events, uh, the Midlands, so kind of Birmingham, Nottingham, obviously where Warhammer World is, and also kind of into the north around the kind of Manchester scene. Um, there isn't really a kind of a, a big event in the southwest, so we, we wanted to kind of create something that um, the kind of more, uh, not necessarily hardcore gamers, but those who kind of want to, to attend a, an ITC level event, but don't necessarily have the access to travel kind of too far away can attend. Um, we've had uh, about 44 players that kind of registered. We had um, 40 turn up for the weekend, which we were really, uh, really chuffed with. Um, things that we kind of wanted to, to achieve were a really good kind of atmosphere, a good vibe, something to introduce people to the ITC format, played on kind of some really beautiful tables, for which we needed to thank some people. So uh, the Bristol Vanguard Wargaming Group, who supplied a lot of the terrain, and, and if you see any pictures of the events, the boards are absolutely beautiful. Um, Bristol Independent Gaming who helped organise the event alongside a, a group called Blackheart Wargaming Events. Uh, we felt they put on a really, really good show, especially considering that it was the first year um, you know, there are lots of things for us to kind of take into consideration. Also, a lot of things for us to learn. Really, we just want to kind of say a big thank you to everybody that kind of turned up and competed. Um, we were really, really happy that, that everyone kind of came away from the event feeling like they took something away from it. Um, I think some people are already kind of excited about next year. Some some good feedback of kind of stuff that will, areas where we want to improve and kind of develop going forwards. Um, but realistically, if people kind of want to... Uh, check us out on Facebook. If you search for Roll Dice Gaming, we're at Roll Dice Gaming on uh, Instagram and on Twitter. Um, and that's a good place for us to sort of share our thoughts of the event as we kind of look to build towards 2020. Um, we'll hopefully have some confirmed dates really shortly and also kind of an updated uh, players pack for next year too. We had a real kind of spread of armies uh, across the event. There was nothing that was necessarily going to be kind of obviously running away with it. We had some guys who were quite kind of new to the 
ITC format, some people who are clearly a bit more kind of experienced. But overall, the, the vibe was really friendly, kind of uh, lots of kind of sharing of kind of lists and kind of ideas and quite a lot of banter. We had some people who I think turned up with the expectation they're probably going to get tabled five times and actually did really well. Um, and a, a real kind of focus on, on hobby as well. Um, especially with the with the guys from Colour Paint on hand to not only judge the painting competition but also kind of lend their critique towards uh, some of the armies on display. Yeah, so while it was a 1750 event and it did run uh, stock ITC missions, and as described, it gave the burgeoning local scene a chance to you know give this competitive format a try. Uh, by all accounts, it sounded as though they did a really great job uh, getting this off the ground, and we hope they hit their goals for growth next year. Um, these guys really put on quite the performance. Like he said, if you want to take uh, check out pictures, you can always uh, search the uh, Bristol City Open on Facebook. They've got some beautiful terrain and tables. Um, it looked like quite the event. Um, when the games came down to it, though, after five rounds, there were two undefeated players. First, the winner, whose list is not uploaded to BCP. And you, you have to understand, um, apparently uh, th th this fellow Josh uh, showed up late to the event, um, so they didn't have time to get it uploaded. Uh, but we were lucky enough to have it sent to us, um, and I've got it right here. It is a four-armed emperor uh, Gene Steeler Cult Battalion with an Icon Ward, a Primus, uh, two units of 15 Acolyte Hybrids, and then a unit of 20 Acolyte Hybrids, a Clamavis, a Keller Morph, and then a second four-armed Emperor Battalion with a Magus, a Patriarch, three units of ten Brood Brothers, and a squad of ten Aberrants with two improvised weapons. And then a third four-armed Emperor Battalion with another Magus, another Patriarch, and 30 more Brood Brothers. So a very interesting list. Um, I don't see any rock saws in those Acolyte Hybrid units. Uh, as far as I can tell, he went bare bones on everything and was just relying on the, those aberrants to do all the real heavy lifting. Yeah, fair enough. And uh, there, there were two undefeated uh, lists that you had mentioned. Unfortunately, uh, we did not get an interview with, with Josh. Uh, so he uh, swept in, played in the tournament. I think he's from the States. I don't know if I had the wrong Josh Conant. Conant? Conant? Weren't able to get an interview from him. If you know him, tell him he missed his chance. At the big time, he'll have to win another one at a later time. At the other final table, though, rampaging to an undefeated top finish for what some would say is the, are the out-of-fashion Imperial Knights, I would disagree, was Jay Middlecoat. What's surprising here is he ran pure Imperial Knights, uh, whereas many of the more popular knights uh, have at least some kind of added detachment. 1,752 points, though, so you've got this House Crass detachment with three Knight Crusaders. And then he tags on two Armager Helverins. The end. Keep it simple, stupid. That is an absolutely brilliant list. I'm happy to hear he had some success with it. Why don't we uh, kick it over to him and, and hear some specifics about uh, how he arrived at it. So this list is a housecraft uh, crusader heavy list because the firepower is outstanding and you're also very, very good in close combat. Um, in terms of things that I had to pick for this event, the uh, Relic always had to be set in your list. So as a result, my Warlord always had the 2 plus armor save Relic because I feel that's the most well-rounded of all of them. Um, I also made both Halverins one unit of two, so I only had four drops, which meant against other uh, knight armies I had a realistic chance of going first uh, or getting that plus one as well. 
So my MVP for the entire weekend was almost always the night that I gave um, Iron Bulwark to. Uh, and not for the reasons you'd expect. Um, yes, it means he's got a 4 point vulnerable save that I don't have to spend a command point on. Uh, and the reason why he was the MVP was because he'd almost always be focused down last. I'd make my other knights much more dangerous, so they'd either have um, the house crash relic and stratagem, so reroll ones to hit and extra damage against vehicles, uh, or it would be my warlord with a two-up armor save and things like that, and I'd put him in harm's way first, which meant that by the time I'd run out of command points, I then no longer had to worry about rotate on my last remaining knight. And because people weren't focusing him down first... Um, it meant I had massive last ability for that entire game. Uh, it was extremely important uh, in the game against the Dark Eldar. It allowed me to win basically by not having to send those CP late in the game. Yeah, I, I think uh, he's an inspiration for anyone who wants to try and make Monofaction Knights work. Uh, why don't we listen to a few more uh, tips and ideas he has about running Knights these days. So an- another key um, point for me for the tournament was... Uh, you know, when I played in game four I was playing against a, a fantastic opponent Josh who was playing Gene Steeler Colts who eventually went on to win the event one of the things that you need to remember as a knight player especially is to maximise your potential for damage in every single like turn of the game no matter whose turn it is uh, so if you see a, a way you can try and uh, think, do things like heroic intervention and, and stuff like that uh, it's extremely important that you do so and, and not forget these things I managed to bait my opponent out to um, hold an objective and uh, it allowed me to then not only intervene into his unit and kill most of the unit but also then to go past the unit he put out the screen uh, which ultimately is what left me getting back in the game and the game being a draw and not a loss. Yeah, when you have uh, only five models, you're definitely going to want to squeeze every last drop out of what you got. Oh, for sure. I would like I was going to say if you uh, if you listen to chapter tactics uh, this you know this this week's chapter tactics, it's actually something that uh, Pablo himself brings up uh, talking about a game he had against Brandon Grant, where Brandon schooled him on the art of Imperial Knights and how key it is to use them in as many phases of the game as you can because you're putting so many points into them. Yeah, absolutely. And uh turns out the Chaos Knights, they can work in a lot of phases. You got to tune into Chapter Tactics for that. So let's round out this episode. Uh, so I had two two snatches on the top table. The first game was against Dark Eldar. Uh, I touched on that with uh, saying how, how the um, the fourth available save was really, really good. The, the key point in the match for me was I'd managed to whittle down my opponent's scoring units to a, a pretty massive degree. Uh, all he had left essentially was planes, which meant that with one knight... As long as I had the correct target priority, I could get both kill and kill more, hold and hold more. Uh, And whilst I couldn't score much in the secondaries anymore, I was certainly winning on primary. And by scoring eight points in two turns on the primary, that's what swung the game for me and allowed me to get a victory against the Dark Elder. There you have it. The now legendary Jay Middlecoat telling us all about his favorite game. Uh, any final points you want to add? So Val, did you catch uh, Chapter Tactics last week? Like, oh, yeah, the one before last? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, not the one that was like yesterday, because that one, wow. A1 Stellar Imperial, uh, sorry, Renegade Night stuff. But other than that, uh, did you hear the talk about uh, Rich and Brandon, how they slow played each other out of a tournament? Hold on to your butt. You just triggered a hot and heavy. Heffeltorial. Heffeltorial. <laughs>
editorializing is not what the show is about. It's supposed to be for news. I'm sorry. Keith went the extra mile on how ridiculous that little bumper was. But this is a heffletorial in which I'm going to talk a little bit about something that's really grinding my gears. And actually, this came up on Chapter Tactics, some other shows as well, just the concept of slow play. And I really wanted to, to speak to this because I feel like people are having an old standard applied to them these days, which in the right circumstances doesn't really apply anymore. And that would be slow play in an ITC event, playing ITC missions when you're on a clock. So slow play, what does that even mean? Well, it's deriving an advantage from um, basically unequitably allocating more time to yourself than your opponent. There's been famous examples of this in 40K. So you can give yourself an advantage in the mission itself, or you can give yourself an advantage over the field, especially in things that are heavily weighted towards uh, end-of-game missions. We see this in Eternal War tournaments at GT Heats, uh, at uh, Warhammer World from time to time. Big, slow armies, plague bearers, orcs, whatever they might be, can just sit on objectives and win the game, even though the other, uh, their opponent didn't really get to play. So that gives them an advantage against the field, gives them an advantage in the game. In ITC, when you're playing on a clock, you got two things going for you. One, you've equitably distributed the time. In the case of Brandon Grant v. Rich Kilton, both players did, in fact, clock out, and they clocked out at turn three, but neither of them used an un unequitable amount of time. They both were fairly allocated their share of the clock. So there was no advantage given to slow play there. And second of all, because they only got to round three, the total amount of points that were scored in that game was 20. You know, I think Rich won 20 to 19. Uh, and that actually gave Rich very, very slim margin of victory uh, over, over Thomas Hexner-Mokey, uh, beating him only by two points. There's been other examples of, of tables behind the top table catching up and passing uh, because, you know, the top table either didn't finish the game or didn't score as many points. Um, but that's built in like that. So if you're not using your time really effectively, getting to that last turn... You yourself are counting yourself out or, or, or giving yourself a penalty just by not scoring as many points. So I would say that the ITC system is set up really, really well to deal with slow play. And in fact, worked perfectly in the case of the Boise Cup. I don't think there was anything wrong with the fact that those guys went three rounds. Rich almost won that last game and he almost lost that tournament. That didn't happen, obviously. It came out on top because of the good job he had done in the other rounds, maximizing his points. So that's my heffletorial, ITC, clock, matches, no such thing as slow play. Thank you very much. Peter, how was that? You did good. You did good. I'm proud of you. I know that uh, it's a hill that you will die on, mm -hmm. uh, much like me in 1,750-point tournaments. Um, but, uh, which, you know, we'll get there. Which you've, we'll get there. Which you've pointed out to me is, is a hill that I keep making you die on, and uh, yes. I know that yes. you actually have no personal vendetta against 1,750. Exactly. I could care less whatever, as long as that's what everybody's playing, or at least, you know, a good amount of people will cover it. I have run out of gas. How about you, Pete? I'm getting there, bud. It's getting late. It's, getting late in the game. It's super late. My eyes have crusted over, and um, I think it's about time we wrap this sucker up. Uh, any yep. final points you want to add? No final points, but we should uh, label out a quick announcement for next week's episode. So the Falcon here is flying east on a bit of a vacation. 
Yeah. Uh, so I may or may not have internet availability where I'm going. If I do, I will be bringing a mic and some things so that we can record whenever I can. If not, though, we do have a special guest host that's probably going to come on boots on the ground at ATC. Ooh. So it should be very interesting. Get some key interviews with some big players. I'm pretty excited about it. This has been part of the plan all along. Falcon uh, did write into Stat Center HR and apply for the time off. We're, we're happy that uh, it's worked out for you and uh, your family that you get to go visit. It's going to be a good time. I'm gone for two weeks, but I've uh, made uh, plans to at least be able to attend one of our recording sessions. Uh, we're just going to figure out which probably next week, though, with, uh, like I said, our special guest host, who will remain a surprise for now, uh -huh. uh, being on the ground at ATC. It just feels like a perfect week to do that. My favorite thing about our special guest host is a lot of people know him, but they don't know they know him. It's true. You know what it's I'm true. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I also want to send a special thank you to all the TOs and players that uh, accepted my friend requests and Facebook Messenger requests. A uh, special thank you to Peter for writing the episode as he does frantically every week. It has been a blast. And uh, with all that said, Peter, do you have anything to add? Bye bye This has been 40K Stat Center, a presentation of the Frontline Gaming Podcast Network. Like what we do? Subscribe to and rate us on YouTube and wherever podcasts can be found. Join the conversation. Follow 40K Stat Center on Facebook. You can also support the show directly by joining the Chapter Tactics Patreon and competitive 40K in general via the ITC Patreon or by grabbing a subscription to BCP. I just found a half-eaten bag of Cheetos in my garbage and turned my whole life around. <laughs>